life uh, in the prologue, and then he has gone on to illustrate his triad of sub-themes. There's somebody in a PT cruiser. Um, uh, of why the Logos came among us. And the first leg of the triad was the Logos came to call his own uh, that's in, also found in chapter 1 along with the uh, pronoun a pro, prologue can, uh, can somebody talk to him hi would you like to join us for Sunday school this morning oh, I got a problem this morning okay uh, we're in the middle of Sunday school uh, can you talk yeah. to him yeah. uh, my mama wife and sister got COVID yeah Um, so uh, uh, and this is uh, the theme being the, the, the just the basic redemptive work uh, and then uh, the second leg of the triad is the Logos came to purge and, and fulfill Judaism which we saw in chapter 2 uh, and this uh, overall theme is uh, uh, his, his relationship with the law and Moses, you know, and how, how do these, how does really Moses and the law fit into the work of the Christ? Um, in Matthew five seventeen, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So that's what the second uh, uh, leg of the triad will be about. And then... Uh, he gave us an overview of the third leg of the triad, which is uh, was to show himself as God the Son, and that was in chapter three. And uh, he spoke authoritatively to Nicodemus about mysteries. Uh, this was an illustration of Isaiah fifty-five eight: "For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways." So uh, he was. Uh, giving Nicodemus a, a very succinct example of that. Um, and c- coupled with this was Epiphany through the Baptist. Uh, again, I mentioned this last week, but again, uh, Matthew three sixteen and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him, and behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, uh, with whom I am well pleased. So we have there God the Son, uh, and uh, coupled with that, with John the Baptist's uh, language that he was using, uh, Jesus taught about his creative work in, in uh, pre- preparing his bride. So, uh, now, John... Uh, turns his attention more to uh, focus on uh, related small themes under each heading of the triad of themes. 
So he goes back in chapter 4 and begins to talk more uh, in more detail about uh, the redemptive work. Uh, so, are there any uh, just questions or comments about any of that review before we move on? I will say, I think for me anyway, that this, this version of the breakdown is most helpful at this point. Because it does have the three, uh, um, uh, what do we call that? Tables, I guess, lists, yeah, of... Uh, of the breakdown of these themes. Okay, so I need a drive-by reader for chapter four. Uh, who would who would like to do that today? Okay. Uh, so the basic redemptive work expounded. So chapter four. Uh, who remembers what happens in chapter four? Well, it opens with the woman at the well, and then in the second part, uh, he Jesus heals a nobleman's son. All right, and that's actually healing the son is the second sign. Uh, so, uh, uh, Connor, why don't you go ahead and uh, read uh, chapter four, verses seven through ten. Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? The Jews had a deal with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, He knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saved who's giving a drink. He would have asked him, and he would have given him living water. Okay, so, I mean, this is pretty obvious. Uh, why did the Logos come? He came to redeem uh, backslidden Samaritans. It's just, you know, it's just obvious. <laughs> He's dealing with Jews don't deal with Samaritans, but he does. Uh, and so he has this conversation with the woman at the well. Uh, uh, Connor, uh, now uh, pick up uh, verses 12 and 14. Please. This is the one that's talking. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his son and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Okay, so this is the second time now that, that John has brought up Jacob. Anybody remember the first time? It was an oblique reference to Jacob. It was in chapter 1. He, he makes a reference to Jacob's ladder. And he, and he does this in chapter 1 to Nathaniel. So now he's brought it up in this conversation with the woman once again. And uh, again, you know, just as... He promised Nathaniel that he would see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man uh, as opposed to Jacob's ladder. Here he says, well, you're, you're invoking Jacob's well. The water from my well is better. So once again, it is something better is here. Uh, 
so he's consistent with, uh, with this message that he has. And uh, John brought that up. John brought up Jacob when he was, uh, uh, when Jesus was calling his Jewish followers. Here he is again as Jesus is calling Samaritan followers. Uh, so, uh, Connor, uh, verses 16 through 18 and then 20 through 23. Or, I'm sorry, 21 through 23. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. You had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Did you say 19 as well? Uh, 21 through 23. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Okay, so this is also, uh, these verses are similar to uh, the cleansing of the temple and the dialogue with Nicodemus. Jesus uh, calls out sin, the woman and her various husbands, and the man she is living with now. And he calls out empty worship, uh, the, the debate about where, we, uh, where they should worship. The, the Samaritans worshipped in the, in the high holy places, in the... In the Countryside and the Jews uh, uh, worshipped in the temple, but Jesus tells her that's all empty. And what I'm what I'm calling is people uh, to worship in spirit and truth. Uh, and he offers grace. Uh, he calls out sin and disobedient worship, and he offers grace and true worship. Uh, he is the true food and drink. Uh, which we see in verses 39 through 42. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Yes, uh, so he, is, he has called his Jewish followers. He now has Samaritan followers, and they confess that he is Savior of the world. That's a pretty big confession. Uh, that's a big, pretty big confession. Um, now, I should, have, I should have mentioned earlier. Let me go ahead and read this. Uh, going back to chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. Uh, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So that's that's the, the redemptive work in a nutshell. You know, it doesn't go, go into the details of the death, burial, and resurrection. But this, is, this was the purpose of it. Uh, John spells out in a very succinct way in chapter 1. Then he, then he starts to call his Jewish followers, and now he's calling his Samaritan followers. So any, any 
thoughts about any of that before we move on. Okay. <laughs> we'll move on then. Uh, Connor, if you read uh, verses 46 and 47. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judah to Galilee, Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. <laughs> okay. Um, we'll, we'll talk about this in a, in a minute, but uh, this man was considered to be, by the early church, a Gentile. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, it is to the point of Isaiah 49, 5-6. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. <clears throat> him, excuse me, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Uh, therefore, he is... With this, uh, with this service to this nobleman, drawing in, calling, calling his uh, Gentile followers as well. Okay, so what about this? Uh, uh, Origen uh, thought that this man was probably an officer under Herod or Caesar. Uh, Chrysostom uh, said of him that he was a royal of some sort. Uh, uh, points out that the word that we have translated officer or nobleman means belonging to the sovereign. So, and you know, this is this is not something that would have been afforded to a Jew. Uh, so they 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 just agree flat out that this this man was a Gentile. Now, some of the church fathers thought it could be uh, the centurion from Matthew whose servant was ill and you know Jesus praises him for the amount of faith that he showed but in, in most of them you know agreed that the uh, the details were too far off to, to really reconcile that uh, you know I mean you could go down that rabbit trail um, but with with the uh, information we have you would have to make a lot of assumptions you know to kind of work that out but again they did agree that he was a Gentile. Uh, it's interesting to me, though, he seems, it seems like Jesus leaves to Samaria and goes to Jerusalem and then back to Galilee again. Instead of straight from Samaria to Galilee. Galileans received him. They said he did the same things in Jerusalem at the feast. You know, they believe it because of what he had done in Jerusalem. So, I'm wondering what, you know, if you know anything about the chronology of. Oh, uh, 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know what that reference is to. Again, there's no chronology in John. So, I mean, he's putting these three elements together because they go together thematically, but not necessarily in time. So Jesus may have been in Jerusalem a number of times uh, before this and done a number of works. Uh, it's specific to say the Galileans believed in him because of what he had done in Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that there is, uh, you know, a clear explanation of that. Um, it may have been that the, uh, the meeting with Nicodemus was in Jerusalem. I mean, we, we just don't know. Yeah, because I, I know uh, I mean, yeah, he, they possibly kept him in Capernaum at that time. You know, right. You don't, know yeah. where, you don't know where that took no. place. So. No, or when. So. <laughs> so, anyway, you know, John arranges things according to his purposes rather than uh, necessarily according to time. Uh, there is uh, a connection to the Cana, uh, wedding at Cana here. Uh, Connor, if you could read 46 through 50. I just did, I think. Uh, this is where he goes to Cana. <clears throat> Another reference. Uh, 46 through 50. Oh, that's right. In Galilee, where he made water wine, and Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And this man heard that Jesus had come from oh. Judea to Galilee. He went to him and asked him to come down and heal the son. Yeah. He was at the point of death. <clears throat> so Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Yeah, a little bit of an overlap there. <laughs> Sorry about that. But uh, here again, you see that uh, a man a man makes a request of him, like Mary at the wedding, and he pushes back. Uh, but he does what he asks anyway. So there, there's uh, kind of a consistency there uh, that uh, uh, Jesus is always willing to show grace, you know, even even if he's got some reason not to, and of course he's got all the reason in the world <laughs> not to show grace, you know, to uh, to fallen people, but, and yet he does. And who knows that wine story that took place there in Cana might have spread out and this guy might have been gone down and tasted a little bit of that wine. <laughs> and I mean, there were like ten jars of right? How many jars were there? Six. Six, I think. Well, I mean, certainly I mean, the word would have been out on the street that something happened, <laughs> I think. I'm wondering, like David was asking, as he returns to Cana, maybe in these places he's returning, it Maybe he's confirming some disciples or confirming some people that believed, and he's maybe going back, confirming them. Yeah, I mean that's certainly possible. Yeah. I mean he had he had a very small area where he traveled, yeah. and uh, when he was going through these different towns and cities yeah. constantly, it seems. Uh, I don't know if anybody's tried to track that down. Uh, that's where the Bible might become interesting. You know, so I have one. <coughs> Puts all the all the four gospels in my mind for at least try. It's probably impossible. Craig, there's a there's this thing in John that I see repeatedly, and I noticed it here in this section too, where the signs and wonders are almost treated negatively. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus kind of he looks at this official and he's like, "You're only going to believe because I'm yeah. doing the sign." It's, right. It's like. 
It's almost annoying. <laughs> and you see that again throughout. I mean, the story of Thomas and John 6, I mean, all of these sections talk almost negatively about the signs and wonders. Mm -hmm. well, that's actually to your point with yeah. these themes. The signs and wonders are only there as a means to an end. Right. Right. And that's to display something about Christ. Mm -hmm. And then you leave the sign of wonder because you've got what it's about. Um, so, that, I mean, that's to your point that this is all, you know, this is a thematic approach where the miracles that are talked about in this gospel are there for specific reasons. And the point isn't to get caught up in the miracle. Right. Uh, they're seeing uh, the trees, but not the forest. Yeah. But, like he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. But right down, the man believed, even without Jesus going to touch Joy his son and doing it. Come, well, he did believe. He challenged him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, what do they? What do they believe in at this point? And, and plus, we, who knows? We, we have no idea what the tone of voice sounds right. like at this particular moment. No, no. We have to read into that. But one of, one of the first things that uh, that John writes about Jesus is he did not give himself over to men because he knew their hearts. So this this father may have just been desperate for his child to get better sure. and not believe anything else. He's just he's just well, you know, he at the point of Jesus, desperation. Yeah, he knows that Jesus can heal. He's got to hurt all he does What's interesting, I almost hear a conversation where he says, hey, you know, you were the guy that turned water into wine, man. You can do it again. Come on now. <laughs> well, there's, a, there's that other father. He said, I believe, Lord. Help thou my yeah. unbelief. Right. His belief was true, but I it love was that imperfect. Guy. <laughs> you know, you want that? I love, I that, love guy. that guy. I love that guy. I do too. I mean, he was, he was very honest about he himself. I'm very grateful for that verse. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, but yeah, I, I do agree. That's that's something that John touches on over and over again. You know, that Jesus is very challenging toward uh, even his followers, and, and it comes up really bad in, in chapter six. Uh, it goes really bad. God is always challenging our belief in the Isn't it yeah. doctrine that God tests our faith? Certainly, that's doctrine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's what this life is all about. You know. How well can you cling to your faith? And, you know, he allows spiritual attack for that reason. God sees the heart. And that makes me, you know, I mention that Acts 17, 26 through 27 all the time. But it says he did this so that men would seek him. And, you know, hoping that they would go for him and find him. Well, uh, I'm going to move on now. And I'm going to jump to chapter 12 here and read you 20-23. But now, there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. When they, then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. What's the reference here? That was 12, 20 through 23. Yeah. So Jesus' answer there to the Greeks indicate that that was the correct hour for, for him to address Gentiles. 
course, it was not in the way that the Greeks were looking. You know, they, they wanted to have a nice conversation over coffee or something, but he was going to address uh, Gentiles as, as well as everyone else with the cross. Uh, so, uh, Connor, if you could read verse 52 uh, back in uh, chapter 4. Four. Yeah. This is still the nobleman's son. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, "Yesterday at the seventh hour, the heat left." So the seventh hour. What was what was Christ doing on the seventh hour on the cross? He he had released his spirit and he was at rest. So. Uh, and his death is uh, what offers healing, complete healing to the whole world. So uh, we've got. This may seem like a stretch, but we've got uh, John. John said that John reported about the hour of the child's healing uh, for a reason. So we've got kind of a connection there to the redemptive work, uh, the the hour of, of Jesus' death on the cross. What's amazing is this royal official, he had to travel a whole day to talk to Jesus and then a whole day back. Mm-hmm. It happened the next day. It happened, it happened he day. found out about it. Yeah, he found out about it a day later. Yeah. So, and, uh, so I mean, that says something to God about the guy's faith. You know, I don't know where he was. Oh, yeah, yeah, his hope, his environment. I've got to. Take this journey, you know, go spend the night, get to Jesus, talk to him, go back home, spend the night, yeah. place, get back home the next day. Yeah. Um, well, and I didn't, I didn't ask Connor to read this, but the next verse is so the father knew it was at the same hour which Jesus had said to him, Your son lives. So uh, he was asking for that very reason, and he got, he got his confirmation. It was at Jesus' word, you know, a day's travel away. Uh, as far as the centurion and uh, his uh, servant goes, that story goes, uh, one of the commentaries uh, that I've read about that points out that he did not want Jesus to come because any doctor could come and, and work on the guy and maybe heal him. But he knew that Jesus didn't have to be there. All he had to do was speak it. You might have known this guy. The guy said, man. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, this is one of the reasons yeah, why... He can throw miracles across time and space. <laughs> this is one of the reasons why some fathers thought it was the same guy. Yeah. Uh, uh, because of the similarity, that yeah. similarity in the story. Uh, there are other dissimilarities. But anyway, I mean, that's another statement of faith on, on wanting to confirm it. That he didn't just blow it off and said, well, I guess he would have gotten better on his own. Uh, there was a lot of travel Galilee and oh, certainly. Yeah. So, uh, this is the end of that chapter, but we see this uh, pattern of um, Jesus collecting new believers follows the same process uh, that he gives to the Acts, uh, to the apostles in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So, Jerusalem, Jews, uh, Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, Samaritans, and the ends of the earth, all the nations. So he follows the same, same pattern uh, in his own calling of people. Um, so uh, it's also, uh, well, uh, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, so uh, here we have the second sign. It's the healing of the nobleman's son, and that foreshadows the inclusion of Gentiles into God's uh, uh, plan of salvation, Savior of the world. So any final thoughts about that before we move on? I have one on the verse you just quoted. This is now the second sign that Jesus did when he'd come from Judea and Galilee. But um, in my understanding here, this wasn't really a spectacular sign. I mean, this was a long distance healing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the son was healed and the nobleman knew it. Other people knew it. But, I mean, he didn't make mud and put it on anybody's eyes. And those kind of more dramatic uh, kind of signs. Just only, well, yeah. only a few people knew, but I'm sure the lively spread. But mm-hmm. not quite as dramatic as some of the other ones, it seems to me. Well, maybe. <laughs> it's something I'd like to be able to do. You're going to look at miracles the same way you look at sin. You know, one sin is, is every sin. You sin once, one sin is another. No, can't throw one sin against another. All, they're all can't evil. wait. Okay. Miracles, you can't say, oh, this is a little miracle. Or well, that's true. Miracle. <laughs> First, a miracle is a miracle. <laughs> that's right. 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 <laughs> But it wasn't flesh. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not saying, this is not your typical healing crusade. Well, it wasn't flesh. It's not your typical healing crusade. Well, Watson calling somebody up to tomb. Yeah, something like that. But it's at this point where John stops numbering the signs. Where he starts numbering? Stops. Oh, really? He just says number one and two. Oh, really? Yeah, so, I mean, it's a sign because he said it was. We'll take John's word for it. And but then the others were kind of decided on by the early church. Well, this this has to be to me is is somewhat incredible because it happened. You know, I mean, it happens at a very specific hour. He finds out the next day the slaves come running to him. Sure, I'm telling him. He asks, "When did it happen?" You talk about confirmation of your belief. You know, I mean, think about it. I mean, he heard God. Jesus just sends him on his way almost indignantly, and so but he still when he gets there, he says, "Oh, it happened this hour." Let's, uh, we're running out of time, but let's go ahead and forge ahead. We might go over a little bit, and I'll just do the readings from this chapter. Um, for chapter 5, uh, anybody remember what happens in chapter 5? The healing at the school on the Sabbath. Yes. <laughs> yes, that is what happens. The, the cripple is healed at Bethesda, and it is on the Sabbath. Uh, so this chapter actually has two themes in it. 
and the first one is uh, that the Logos came to show the better power of rest. And so we'll start out with verses 2 through 6. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? <laughs> All right, so, so we, we see how difficult it is to receive the limited grace of the pool. Um, it's basically works. Did you read that from John? Uh-huh. John 5. Well, some of them leave that out. Okay. Uh, that's, that's a questionable verse. Okay. Uh, okay, so uh, uh, the. Uh, yeah. That's, that's a disputed verse that is not in some manuscripts. Uh, doesn't mean it's true. But somehow they believe it's like hot springs or something. So it's what? People, it's like hot springs. People oh. believe that. I'm well, I mean, it could have been. Yeah, it could have been like a hot spring. Uh, but for some reason, there was a, a, a tradition had come up that you had, you had to get in first. So anyway, it was it was surrounded by superstition and a lack of power. It was it was uh, it was works basically. And and if you weren't healed, you could blame it on well, I didn't get in fast enough. When we did this, we did a play based on the Gospel of John a number of years ago. It was a great play, but when we got to the cells, we had people out there with all their wares selling little bottles of Bethesda boiling water or something. Yeah. <laughs> we captured, <laughs> which is lots. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing there was a lot of that going on. I've got angel stirred water here right now. <laughs> uh, so, what is Jesus' response to him? Uh, in verses 8 and 9, Jesus simply says, uh, said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Uh, so, uh, and John makes a point of saying on the Sabbath... It is all about us laying down works based in, in, in basing our hopes in his work. I'm always uh, struck about how many times it mentions that, you know. That it's like Jesus <clears throat> deliberately yeah. doing these things on the Sabbath. He deliberately does it. Well, the uh, interesting thing about John is this is the only place where it's an issue. In John. Uh, this, this right here. Yeah. Now it is it is mentioned when the man was born uh, was he, the born. man who was born blind is healed. That was also on a Sabbath, yeah. but it's just kind of a throwaway statement. Yeah, it doesn't become an issue here. Here it's a big issue. Um, Maybe it's in Jerusalem. So John, so I mean, John leaves a lot to the synoptics. Mm. 
he assumes you all know the synoptics. You know the story. So I'm not going to go over this stuff again. But but this he is he is acknowledging now. You know, yes, and this is part of the themes of this of this book, which we're not going to get, or uh, chapter, which we're not going to get through. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to end with the first theme, which is I'll, I'm pretty short on that. Uh, uh, it, but yeah, I mean, he, he, the the point here at the beginning is laying down our works, and uh, you know, our healing, you know, at all levels is on Christ's work, and his his grace is abundant. There, there's no getting down in the pool. There's no even sitting next to the pool. It's just take up your mat and go and walk. Um, and it is a violation of the Sabbath. Um, and this will lead to the next, uh, to the next. It was a violation of the Pharisees' view of the Sabbath. Well, not only, and it was not only that Jesus did something on the Sabbath, but he told somebody else to do something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Take up your mat and walk. You know, gosh. (laughs) Yeah, it's 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 a yeah it's it's a complete. you know, uh, accusation against what what extra law around the Sabbath had uh, become. Yeah, the Pharisees <laughs> seemed to recognize that it was a real miracle, oh, yes. and yet it did not impress them. The only, and you know, the chief priest at the end um, recognized those sorts of things too, but it did not change their heart towards Jesus. All I can figure is that must have thought that. Well, we are the chief. Surely God would put it to us. This was true. Yeah. You know, this sort of thing. So. And maintaining their political power, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was a big part of it, maintaining their authority yeah. among the people. Sure. So it's 10.15, so I'm going to cut it off there, and we'll pick up uh, with this chapter again. Again, uh, Nagash is going to be here next week. So we'll pick up again uh, in the, on the following Sunday. Nagash. Thanks for your work. You bet. <laughs>